0: do so. Thank you all for helping us to sing to the Lord this morning. If the children who are going to um, sing in our children's choir later this month, if you would dismiss yourselves and go on back for practice, that they'll be returned back here or to the nursery area, wherever they're picked up from. This morning we want to look at, once again, a second look at 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8 and read down through verse 15, although we'll look primarily starting at verse 11 this morning. And it's on page 991. If you would like to use a Bible from the church, you could grab one in front of you. Otherwise, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. I desired then that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly and with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. may be seated. Father, as we turn our eyes towards you, it's appropriate that we would turn our eyes to your word. It's a gift. Thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. Every word of yours is true. And it's so necessary, it's so timeless and pertinent to our lives. And we're thankful that You have given us, Lord Jesus, the gift of Your Spirit so that we might be inclined to want to know Your Word and that we might not only understand Your Word but to love Your Word. So help us, Father, change us in light of Your Word this morning may you be glorified in how we receive your word for we pray this in christ's name amen we began at verse 8 last week and got up to uh, verse 10 would remind us that this whole section uh, is is uh, paul's instructions to timothy as to how the church should um, operate in, in the, the town of Ephesus, and for instance, and in, would remind us of, of a bit of the overarching concern of the book of First Timothy in chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. I, I hope to come to you soon, he writes, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church, of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The overall direction of uh, Timothy is, uh, the book of Timothy is so that the church would know how to behave. And in particular, as we zoned in on chapter two, it's instructions uh, for gathered worship. How people ought to conduct themselves in worship. And particularly in verses 8 through 15, uh, we've looked at something about um, the the different uh, roles that men and women would play in gathered worship. Last week, we looked at the first two directives that were given. We would derive in a positive statement. It would be, let the men pray. verse 8, and then verses 9 and uh, 10, let the women pray do good now we add two more to that Uh, verse 11 we we would say it this way let the women learn and then in verse 12 i would frame it this way let the men teach Two things I want us to mull over then under the rubric of let the women learn and let the men teach is uh, I want to um, explore, as particularly when we lay our eyes on verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. I want to explore what is being disallowed in worship. And then... Uh, We're given some great insight, beginning uh, in verse 13 and 14, uh, as to why what is being disallowed in verse 12 is being disallowed in verse 12. But we're not going to get there this morning. We'll have to make this part three, Lord willing, next week. Now, before we consider verse 12 on what is being disallowed in worship, I, I think we would need to first, in gathering the context here, uh, get a grasp on what is being permitted here. And verse 11 specifies that for us. Let uh, a woman learn. Now, these are Paul's instructions to Timothy as to how the church in Ephesus should operate these are these are God's instructions to us as to how any church anywhere for all times should should operate um, and um, what 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 Paul is explicitly uh, charging Timothy to make sure it, it occurs in that church in Ephesus is that, is that women should be learners? Now, it doesn't mean that women that that women only are the learners. Uh, it, it doesn't mean now, now now There's nothing you could teach a guy, so guys don't need to learn anything. I know we sometimes think that, but that's not the case. Uh, uh, and uh, sorry to pop or our, our uh, fragile eagles their egos there, but um, but 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 more than anything i think what paul is making sure he addresses is that women should not be excluded from the church's instructions in that sense what paul has just said right there was extremely countercultural to that day and age yes men too are to be learners but, but that's that's not the rub that's not the that's not the challenge here as as paul would write to timothy at this church in that cultural context uh, in the first century it it was uh, quite suspect uh, it was a, a cultural norm in fact uh, in the jewish culture as well as in much of the Roman culture, that women were forbidden from formal learning. So Paul's words are countercultural. They're very shocking. As is the New Testament in that sense. You remember the episode in Luke 10... when Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus learning rather than working or serving you remember how Mar- Martha was scandalized by this she she needed to straighten things out jesus tell Mary to get back to work mary was learning jesus did not tell mary to get back to work rather he commended her for her learning that's the value that the scriptures put on the equality of men and women i will say more about this in a minute but just because the scriptures give the full uh, clarity to the equality of men and women. It's not an issue of which one's more human, men or women. Uh, uh, men and women are equally human in the sight of God, and and men and women are equally um, standing at the foot of the cross on the on the same uh, horizontal plane. But I think one of the things our culture does misunderstand, and that could tempt us to misunderstand it as well, is that. To affirm the full equality of men and women does not mean the same thing as saying that men and women being equal, that men and women are the same. No, here, this passage itself, as does the Scripture's it, the scriptures address men as men and the scriptures address women as women and the scriptures uh, give to us uh, a wonderful set of assumptions and therefore they're true assumptions that, that men are not women and women are not men and, and that they are different, equal but different and that there are different roles and assignments and therefore instructions but the equality, at least here at this point, is clearly established. Men are to gather for the instruction of God's word in gathered worship, and women are to be right there with them, uh, instruction under God's word. Yet not only is the fact that women are learners, let the women learn, but the manner in which they are to learn is also spelled out here in verse 11. Let the women learn quietly and with all submissiveness. Quietly. Now, that may not be what you think it is. That's not quite the same as shut up. In fact, that word quietly there in verse 11, um, it's actually up there in verse 2 of the same chapter um, that we would pray for kings and all those in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. In that context, you, you begin to see a sense for a peaceful and quiet life. That doesn't mean I'll never say a thing. That doesn't mean I'll never talk. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, quiet is not about silence per se. Uh, quiet is 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 not the same thing as no talking. A life that is peaceful and quiet is is a a a, a life uh, that is it, that has pushed back and and has emptied itself of. Turmoil and restlessness. Uh, 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 to, to, to learn with quietness is to, is to really, it, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a mouth thing as much as it's a heart thing. Uh, it's a heart posture that is teachable and ready to learn. Uh, let women learn, um, in with quietly is to even in the context of now. This is Paul writing to Timothy, and he's given Timothy instructions on how the church should be conducted, and and he he he's pushing to the front the importance of uh, and the importance of women being learners. That is, women not being excluded from the instruction in the gathered worship. That they be allowed to be there. That they be permitted to be there that they should be there and that they, they and so that they might learn quietly in other words they, they they may not be distracted Timothy Timothy do whatever you can so that the, as the ladies gather for uh, the instruction in worship that they are not distracted that it really goes back to what he said in verses 8 9 and 10 part of the dynamic of being distracted is um, Uh, tagging on to last week's thoughts and that is if there are angry men praying in church no one's going to be learning quietly in church or if the church is overrun by women who think that the gathering of the church is an opportunity for a fashion competition then you're distracted and you're not ready to learn I'll say more about this, but, to, but to, to, to say that women are to learn quietly is, is, is not to say that women cannot say anything, even in gathered church. First Corinthians chapter 11 assumes that women will pray and prophesy in church. Women should learn quietly. Women should learn, it goes on to say, with all submissiveness. Now, again, what he's saying to women, is, we have to be careful here to say, and, and how would men learn? Well, without quietness and without submission no that's not what it's saying here as he's positively putting forth that women should not be excluded from worship he's 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 including women in the instruction of worship by in a sense in a sense at this point at least saying and that the way women learn is not altogether different than the way men should learn men should come to the word with a quietness and with a submissive submissiveness as well Hebrews 13, 17 reminds us, obey your leaders and submit to them. And that's not a text for women only. That's a men and a women text. And he even says, says that's in Hebrews 13, 17. uh, And then in in verse 7, prior to that, he's speaking of those same leaders. He says, those who spoke the word of God to you. women should learn quietly and with all submissiveness they should be devoted to learning and really what we're talking about here is that women should gather to learn with a respect for the word a willingness to come under the authority of the word and to receive the instruction of the authoritative word not argumentatively but agreeable to hear it out and receive its teaching. Not, when we hear the word submission, we, uh, we, we've allowed our culture to maybe uh, educate us on what it says that consists of. We're not talking about a, a coerced, oppressive, quote-unquote, submissiveness, but we're really talking about an internally motivated freely chosen resolve not rooted in ignorance or blindness but informed with eyes wide open that I want to come under the word under the authority of the word and I'm ready to hear what it says now with that said let me go on to verse 12. It says, "I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man." I've just read, you've just heard, you're now seeing what is probably the most controversial verse in all of the pastoral letters, uh, perhaps in all of Paul's writings, perhaps in all of the New Testament. And yet, I would add what I similarly said last week about these verses. It's a fairly recent controversy. It's a modern controversy. It's a... A modern controversy rooted in some cultural assumptions that we have in our culture today that are antithetical to the authority of the Scripture itself. So these verses set us off. We just don't like what they say. Some of the assumptions that we would bring to a text like this that would cause us to be set off by... what it just said uh, is first of all uh, we often bring in our modern culture a very low view of the Bible we are confused about what the Bible is the Bible is the very word of God it's come right from the mouth of God that the men who wrote the various books of the Bible were 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 precisely moved by the Spirit of God to write the very words that they wrote. Using their own personalities, using their own understandings, and using their own styles and and experiences, nevertheless, the words that they penned were exactly the words that the Spirit of God wanted written. And since the Bible is the Word of God, it has all of the authority of God Himself. We can't separate the God of the word from the word of of God's. A second wrong view uh, that makes us to be set off by this passage uh, is a wrong view, as I mentioned earlier, of human equality. That equality uh, is not the same as sameness. Uh, we operate with a set of cultural assumptions today that men and women are not only equal, but men and women ain't no different. They, they in, in fact, there's a there's an interchangeableness. It doesn't there's there's not there's nothing distinct about men or oh there's a couple of of body parts that are different, but, but you could you, those are just unnecessary appendages that could be removed and swapped out anyway. That was my attempt at humor. But the Bible doesn't operate from that cultural assumption. The Bible operates from the assumption that there are differences between men and women, and that's not a fluke, that's not an accident, that's actually a part of God's order. And those are good differences. And they're for good purposes and good reasons. But when we disagree that there, are, that, that there that, that, that there's differences between men and women, that, that, that's when, and, and we think that they're all the same, it's just interchangeable. A man can do what a woman can do, a woman can do what a man can do. And then all of a sudden Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. We say, whoa, wait a minute. I Maybe mean, a third factor uh, that that sets that these passages set us off is that another cultural assumption is that we have determined that the authority of our life is our feelings and our desires. And so, if I feel like I want something, if I desire that I need something, if I feel like and desire that God has called me to be a pastor and I happen to be a lady, then who's to tell me no? to which I would say God, as he said in his word, I mean, but that, I mean, you and I, you're like, well, yeah, I mean, Joe, this is not rocket science, you know, but I'm, I'm telling you, but the, the, those are some of the cultural assumptions that if we bring, we, we, if we bring a low view of the scripture, that it's not the very words of God, if we, if we bring an assumption that men and women are interchangeable, there's no difference. If, if we bring an assumption that the highest authority in my, if I feel like I'm this or that, then I ought to be this or that, and nobody can tell me otherwise, I have the right to accept express myself we bring those sort of assumptions in that's why this passage is controversial otherwise it's not controversial but since we do bring a lot of those assumptions in uh, our own denomination is struggling with this verse And why is it struggling with this verse? For at least the three reasons I just gave, if not more. And and and, and so we, we clash and we think, God, oh, we've got to straighten out this passage. We, we, we've got to explain it away. Because it grates our cultural assumptions. Uh, it grates it what we know to be true, and it thinks it's true. So, hello, we got a conflict here. So, let me mention just briefly at least three wrong perspectives that attempt to explain away this passage. When Paul says to us, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. Over a man. The first common objection uh, to counter this scripture passage is to um, is to say, "Well, that's what Paul says, but Paul was wrong." Any questions? I didn't think so. Yeah. I would say that Paul was expressing his own opinion, not the Lord's opinion. Well, that's an interesting perspective because. I just need to know how you sort that stuff out. So, is verse 12 Paul's opinion? Uh, But uh, I I don't know. Um, How about verse 1 of chapter 2? First of all, I urge then that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. That's Paul's opinion as well. I mean, I wish he would just back off and stay out of my life. I mean, what, how, how does one determine what parts of the Holy Scripture are God's revealed will and what parts of the Scripture are human opinions? i tell you how you do that. All of a sudden, you have to be the one who's inspired. You now are inspired to find the inspired parts. So you are now the authority. Anything you don't like, you're inspired to drop. The famous president, Thomas Jefferson, he had that attitude. He he, he felt that not all of the scripture was scripture. And and he so he he literally did the work that you and I are thinking about doing. He he went through and cut out the parts that he didn't think were inspired. I often joke. I think the only thing left by the time he's done cutting out is is that verse in John 11. Jesus wept. He wept because of what man did to his holy word. You know, but a a second. Wrong perspective related to this, but but it just says you know Paul was just reflecting the cultural bias and not establishing a pattern that remains over all cultures for all times. I mean Paul, he like he was like sucked into this patriarchal culture of male. Oppression and male dominance, and he's just reflecting that sort of bias. And so, as soon as you and I wise up and smarten up and liberate ourselves and throw off the shackles of male dominance and patriarchy, uh, then we can realize what the Scripture is really saying when it's unshackled from its cultural bindings. ay ay yi ay, ay ay These are real people giving these arguments. Again, they're just a really poor view of holy scripture there are matters in the scriptures that are culturally adjustable we we looked at some just last sunday when it mentions not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire i suggested to you that those were cultural culturally d- uh, expressed Applications of the broader principle that is true for all cultures and all times, and that is women should adorn themselves with respectable apparel, with modesty and self control, uh, with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. That's the timeless principle there. Don't get lost in the weeds. A couple of ladies joked with me this morning. They said, We don't have our pearls today. But they didn't forfeit them to me like I asked. But uh, anyway, uh, they're holding on to them for later. But I I did make note of that, so, yeah. So there are things, that, but but we'll see, Lord willing, next week that these particular instructions in verse twelve, I do not permit a woman to uh, to teach or exercise authority for man. When he he'll, he'll give the reason for why that's disallowed, and the reason is not a culturally bound explanation. It's an explanation that's rooted in the design of creation itself. It's rooted in the fall of man. In other words, there are there are transcultural explanations for this particular instruction, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Um, Another wrong assumption, which is probably probably the most common uh, explanation that's percolating in our own fellowship of churches in the Southern Baptist Convention it would go something like this. When, it, when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, they say what Paul was prohibiting is not women teaching in the gathered assembly, but restricting women from teaching authoritatively in the assembly. I mean, there must be a team of lawyers somewhere. To, how do you, how you get around this stuff? I mean... No, they say it's okay for a woman to teach in the gathered assembly, just not with pastoral authority or under such uh, authority. So Paul is not restricting teaching per se, but authoritative teaching. So it's it's not too things that Paul is prohibiting, Um, but it's one thing that's being prohibited. Not teaching in and of itself, but authoritative teaching. It's okay to teach unauthoritatively, apparently, they say. Which is really confusing if you think about it. I mean, so... From now on, whenever we, whenever whoever gets up here to preach, we have to clarify. Now, what I'm about to say is unauthoritative. So, in other words, you might as well go home. Uh, you know, uh, uh, just just for the record, even though I just read the scripture and I'm going to read the scriptures and now will explain the scriptures, this is the real deal here, folks. This is authoritative. It's, it's a really skewed version of what the role of teaching is. If the teaching is faithfully teaching the Bible, then it is authoritative teaching. It doesn't make it unauthoritative. If a, I mean, that's really in a long, in, in, a, in a way, it, the the uh, the unintended consequence of that is it's very insulting to women. I don't think that's what their intention is, but it's say now you you can teach, babe, but you just can't teach authoritatively. So here's what I would suggest to you: let's take what I feel is the plainest reading here and to to unpack the meaning of it. Paul is prohibiting when he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. I take that to mean that Paul is prohibiting not one, but two things. He is restricting women from teaching in the gathered assembly. Second, he is restricting women from uh, any sense of authority in the gathered assembly. So two things. Women are not allowed to teach in the gathered assembly of worship. And women are not allowed to exercise authority over the gathered assembly of worship. What Paul is not saying. Because you see, see how I qualified this? Paul is talking about how the church should conduct itself in its gathered worship. And in the gathered worship, the focus on ladies is to learn. The responsibility of men is to teach. This is not saying. Paul is not saying, the Bible does not say that that women cannot teach anyone in any context whatsoever. In Titus chapter 2, for instance, it says, let the older women, and I'll let you sort out if you fit that category or not. I don't see any, personally, I don't see any old women here this morning, but uh, let the older women... Teach the younger women. What's, what's the older women to do? To teach. That's not in contradiction to what Paul is saying here. Because not, he's not talking about that teaching occurring in the gathered assembly of worship. He's talking about that teaching occurring in a gender ex- explicit context context. In, in a context outside the gathered assembly of worship, which is arguably a mixed assembly, if you would. Secondly, uh, this is not in contradiction to what Paul says to Timothy in other places in 2 Timothy chapter three, uh, where he says that Timothy, you know that you learned the faith from your mother and your grandmother. Timothy's mom and grandma taught him and this is not in any way contradictory to what we see described in Acts chapter 18 when a guy named Apollos who it says was a very competent teacher he just didn't know some things he he was acquainted with John's baptism but he didn't know that there was like a, a more updated version of it and and uh, and, and so uh, a husband and wife uh, team of teachers Priscilla and Aquila, it says there, after he publicly taught, they pulled him aside and, quote-unquote, explained the way of God more accurately. So there are there are at least those three contexts in which the scripture affirms commends the role of women teaching. It's just that, but yet that does not set in contradistinction to what is being described here uh, in uh, verse twelve, as it's talking about the church as it assembles and gathers for worship. It is to be led by men who teach the Scriptures. Now, I've gone on way too long, and so and, um, I don't want to overshoot my stay. And There's a duration on how quietly and submissively you could learn, I suppose. It's true for any of us, men or women. But let me just say this. Part of what Paul is doing here, I suggest to you, is setting things up for what he's about to do next. What he's about to do next in chapter 3 is explain the role of elders, and elders are biblically qualified men. And interesting, guess what they're what they're tasked with—to teach and to exercise authority. And we'll unpack more of that when we when we when we get to it. So, it, it, honestly, it wouldn't be much of a stretch uh, to read verse twelve as I do not permit. A woman to teach or exercise authority over over a man to just simply when I prefaced it to begin with, let the men teach. It wouldn't be a stretch to say let the elders teach. But it says I think it's talking about men in general, and it'll it'll narrow that uh, when it gets to, to 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 chapter chapter three. But I'll just say this for now because this is why I don't I, think, I don't keep, even though these are two separate things, teach or exercise authority. Um, they are connected. They are inseparable. So to suggest that this is uh, saying that women could teach unauthoritatively is to, is, to, is to contradict, I think, a very important biblical understanding of what biblical teaching truly is. And I'll frame it this way. How is authority exercised through a local church? And I would suggest to you that authority is exercised, authority under the authority of Jesus. Authority is exercised through teaching. Who is to lead a church? isn't it interesting that the Lord was pleased to pick the most inefficient and unproductive um, arrangement for who would lead the church if you and I were in charge of picking leaders for the church we would say, we need to get us a savvy, successful businessman. Yeah, he really run the church. Or we'd say, uh, we need to get us a highly effective executive. Uh, we need to find all the g- proper business models for effective executives. Or we'd say, no, what we need is a, we, we need an entrepreneurial visionary. Or what we'd say, no, what we really need is a military commander. And the scripture doesn't tap any of those. Scripture goes really inefficient in terms of a a model for leading an institution. The Scripture says, "Hmm, a church needs to be led by teachers. Why? Because authority is intertwined in rightly handling the word of truth. Authority, in that sense, is not vested in a person. The big chief, right here, big chief. The head hog at the trough, right here. Um, No, authority is placed through an office that a congregation places a person in and and then and, and the and the authority of that office is worked out through the teaching of that officer. In other words, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And yet how does he dispense that authority? Well, he gathers his prophets and his apostles who become the foundation for the church, who provide us the scriptures. In fact, Paul would even say in Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God. Paul's not a big shot other than he was doing what God told him to to do. And the elders' authority is expressed through patiently, persuasively, faithfully, accurately teaching the word. So that in a biblical model, it is leaders who teach and teachers who lead because the authority is in the scriptures that are taught, not natively in the person. Now, in a sense, all people are teachers. But that's, again, that's what we're talking about. In Hebrews 5, he says, By now you guys ought to be teachers. I got to go back and we got to go back to grade school again and start over again. Or in Matthew 28, the Great Commission is for all people to teach all that I've commanded you. Or in Colossians 3, we're to teach one another. But that's not what we're talking about here in Timothy. It's not talking about the most generic kind of teaching that all people anywhere for all times can do it's talking about the authoritative office of teaching in which authority is derived from the teaching itself and that is restricted only for men let the men teach I'll close with this, because I've overshot my state. Both men and women have misused this text and have misapplied uh, the point of this text. But the reason why men and women, and perhaps I would just work with the assumption that uh, men have misused and misapplied this text even more than women have, and I think that's because of another cultural assumption. Another thing that our culture assumes is that added responsibility means added privilege. It's how it works in the corporate world. It's how it works in the political world. Higher you get up the food chain, the more privileges you get because you take them. And then we apply that cultural assumption to church, and we say, pastor, boss man, same thing, you know, uh, we say he's got more authority, so therefore he ought to have more privilege, and, and the scripture really, not only does it know nothing about that, it actually stands opposed to that. Vehemently stands opposed to that. In the scripture, leadership does come with responsibility, but that responsibility does not in any way insinuate or connote or denote added privilege. That responsibility, in fact, actually promotes and requires added sacrifice. So it's to say that a woman can't teach or exercise authority over a man because that's a man's job. That does not give us privilege. It gives us added call to lay our lives down in sacrifice. The added weight of being faithful to the authority of scriptures. The added weight of actually reflecting how our Lord himself took on responsibility, not by added privilege, but by added self-sacrifice. Have this mind in you, Paul would write to the church at Philippi concerning Jesus. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though Although he considered equality with God a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself and became nothing and became a servant, an obedient servant, obedient unto death, obedient unto death on the cross. The calling upon men to teach and exercise authority is not a rank that gives us added privilege. It's a rank that that calls us to be the first in line to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your word. Help us to understand what you have said to us in your good word. Every word of yours is not only true, but it is good. Help us to love these things and help us to see the treasure that is in these things and help us to order our lives and our church accordingly for your glory and thank you Jesus that you have set the direction on leadership and you're more than a leader you are our only savior you have shed your blood as our Lord so that we could be pardoned and brought into relationship with your father so that the very love that the father has for you jesus he now has for those who belong to you thank you that we are well-loved children through faith in jesus where we pray this in christ's name amen let's stand